Veterans Path, helping veterans find peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor through practical tools like meditation and mindfulness, physical and outdoor experiences, and a community of camaraderie. I'm John McCaskill, a Navy SEAL commander turned mindfulness teacher. Here on the Veterans Path podcast, I interview veterans, athletes, corporate leaders, and many others who found peace through the practices of meditation and mindfulness, breaking down the stigma of pursuing mental health and making it a priority, improving and saving lives. All right, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day. I'm John McCaskill, your host, and thanks for tuning in to the Veterans Path Podcast. This podcast is just a piece of what we do. Veterans Path is actually a nonprofit working to introduce veterans and active service members to meditation and mindfulness, typically in outdoor settings, so they can rediscover a sense of peace, acceptance, transformation, and honor. And that's where the word path in our name comes from. And the point of this podcast is to make people more aware of what we do to increase support of Veterans Path, increase attendance at our retreats so we're able to help more veterans, and finally, to reduce the stigma around mindfulness and meditation and seeking mental health support. Listeners and viewers, if you're enjoying the show, please give us a review or a like and share the show with anyone and everyone you think could benefit from our message. Also, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Today, I'm honored to have as my guest, JC Glick. JC is a retired Army Ranger Lieutenant Colonel, now working as a leadership consultant who advises at the strategic, operational, team, and individual levels. He has a strong background in leadership development, executive personnel assessment, and selection, strategy, coaching, counseling, and developing innovative solutions to complex problems. JC is currently the National Director of Merging Veterans Employers, or MVP, whose mission statement is to match combat veterans and former professional athletes together after the uniform comes off, to give them a new team to tackle the transition together. MVP shows them that they are not alone. In addition to his master's from the Naval War College, Lieutenant Colonel Glick holds a degree in political science from the University of Rhode Island and is a Liberty Fellow, part of the Aspen Institute. JC is also a TEDx speaker and author of the books a Light in the Darkness, Leadership Development for the Unknown, and Meditations of an Army Ranger, a Warrior Philosophy for Everyone. We're going to learn a lot more about JC, his time in the Army, what he's doing now as a consultant, his work with MVP, and his books. And that's all here in today's episode of the Veterans Path Podcast. But before we jump into the conversation with JC, I'll go ahead and stop right here for a quick plug for our sponsor. All right, welcome back. As mentioned in the intro, my guest today is retired Army Ranger, consultant and author, Lieutenant Colonel J.C. Glick. Welcome to the show, J.C. Hey, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Really excited to talk to you and um, really enjoy uh, kind of the, what you put out there. I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's terrific. I really Thanks, man. Uh, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's a job that I'm very passionate about and sharing what I've learned along the way and hoping that it helps others along the way too. Uh, I love that background, man. For uh, for those of you who are listening uh, to the audio and, and not watching the video on YouTube, 
Uh, JC has uh, old camouflage <laughs> background behind him. It's pretty, it's pretty epic. So if you get a chance, check it out on YouTube. So, hey, uh, yeah, man, uh, crazy times that we're going through. Uh, how's the the coronavirus been affecting you guys? You know, it's it's funny. This is uh, I keep telling people that this is kind of my jam. I I love this. Uh, not that I I hate that people are scared and that and that there's people who uh, who are sick, but you know the chaos piece of this the um the uncertainty the actually the kind of the thought about isolation i mean i don't i don't mind staying in with the person i love the most um you know i yeah. I, I still get to do all the stuff that i would usually push to the side i get to do those things um i have a gym out in the garage so i mean this is this is not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Um, I, I do. I certainly uh, feel for for those that are that are struggling financially, those that are struggling emotionally, and those that are struggling physically. Um, and you know, I, I just I just wrote an article about it um, about how to kind of think of things, how to how to think about things with a warrior mindset. And um, I just talked to I don't know I, if you know. Um, Marcus Aurelius Anderson and Tony Blauer. Um, I think the three of us are going to do like a, like a live panel to talk about fear, resiliency, and inspiration. So awesome. um, I, I think we have to do, you know, those of us that kind of are, are used to dealing with a little chaos and a little uncertainty. Um, I think we have a responsibility, a duty to kind of help others kind of get through this. So oh, no doubt. Well, uh, when, whenever you set that up, uh, you know, shoot the link my way. I'd love to share that because absolutely, this is definitely a time of, of uncertainty and increased anxiety. So people, uh, I think need to hear those types of messages and how to increase the resilience and how to get through adversity and overcome obstacles. And that's yeah. going to be a lot of the, you know, obviously the talk that we have today on, on the show. Um, my, my initial question is kind of a standard question um, that I, I asked everybody on the show and I covered a little bit or I will cover a little bit about you and your career when I inject the intro later. But uh, outside of your professional bio, uh, what else is there that you would like our listeners to know about you, JC? Um, you know, I think I think my I was asked uh, I gave I, I gave a a keynote at a a um, pharmaceutical company uh, a couple months ago before the social distancing started. Yeah, and uh, and and uh, one of their senior leaders said, "You know, what do you, what do you want? What's your what's your future look like?" And I said, "I just want to help people. I just want to make people better." And he's like, "No, no. What do you want? Like, do you want a house on the beach, or do you want a boat?" And I'm like, "No." I I don't, that's what I want. I want to help people. I want to, I want to take what I've, what I've learned and I want to share that. And I want to help if it helps somebody, that's, that's all I want. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the most important thing is, um, I, I really, you know, I don't, I don't write because I think I'm correct in my ideas. I almost said I don't write because I'm right. Uh, cause <laughs> I think I'm right. I, I don't write because I think I'm correct in my perspective I write because if it helps like one person, uh, then I think, okay, that's good. You know, I, I'm not, I, I don't think I have the, all the answers. I don't think I have even most of the answers, 
but I would like to see if I could help other people find their right answer. So I think that's probably the most important thing that I, because I don't, I don't think that people talk about that. They talk about their accomplishments. They talk about, you know, certainly what's, what you send in one of those professional bios, but like your why I think is the most important thing. And we don't, we never share our why. Yeah. uh, I love that. And, um, we were actually, I'm going through a transition program right now, the, the Honor Foundation. Uh, and we go through, in that Honor Foundation, we go through a portion where we do Simon Sinek's Find Your Why. And uh, it was pretty powerful, man. We, uh, we sat down as trios and shared um, kind of defining moments in our lives and, and what made those defining moments. And then we took those um, and even dissected them further to come up with, with our true why, what makes it important to us, what makes us tick, why we do what we do. And going back to the, the piece where you said, you know, you, even if you help one person, it's like that old proverb where the, you know, the kid's walking down the beach and he sees, I think it's a whole bunch of starfish. Starfish. Like, yeah. yeah. He's like, what are you doing? Why, why are you throwing all these starfish back into the, the, uh, the ocean? You're not going to make a difference. And he picks one up and throws it into the ocean. He's like, well, it made a difference to that one. And that's, that's exactly, I think, why you're doing what you're doing is yeah. does, even if it does affect one, it does affect one. It makes a positive change there. So awesome, man. I love what you're doing. So you've had a heck of a career. And, and before I jump too far into that, I want to kind of go back in time for a bit here. Your time at the University of Rhode Island, uh, where you majored in poli sci there, you also minored in Russian studies and leadership studies, and you received a whole bunch of uh, awards there. Um, and then you interned at the Atlantic Council of the United States, where you contributed to a document called Partnership for Peace. So I've got three questions from that. Yeah. My questions are, one, why the University of Rhode Island? Two, why Russian studies? And then three, can you tell us about the Atlantic Council of the United States and the Partnership for Peace? Yeah. Um, well, on the last one, I'll try to remember as much as I can. I, I, I was more of a, I was more of a, a typing jockey than anything <laughs> else. Um, so the University of Rhode Island, uh, quite honestly, I'd love to say, oh, the, I love the campus and I love, but the truth is I was not a great student in high school. I uh, graduated 112th out of 120 people with a 79.9 GPA. Hey, you graduated. Um, I graduated and I was, and I was summarily kicked out of my home, uh, being told that, being told that, uh, I, I didn't deserve to go to college because I had done so poorly in, in high school. So I, um, I was basically homeless for two years. I had been estranged. I had been estranged from my father. That was, uh, with my mother. And so I, I, I kind of went off and, um, did some stuff. And uh, it was right before the Persian, the first Persian Gulf War. Um, and I decided, uh, you know, I think I was getting evicted from like the third place that I was going to be living in. And, you know, I was working as a ski instructor or, you know, working in a ski shop or, or whatever. And um, I called my dad because I hadn't talked to him. And I just said, hey, uh, you know, I just want you to know I'm joining the Marine Corps. I, I want to go you know, go to, go to war. And, uh, he said, well, Hey, you know, why don't you, uh, why don't you come visit me in Rhode Island? And, um, and you know, I, we can at least see each other before you go do that. Um, 
long story short, uh, through, through some really neat kind of, uh, networking, my father, uh, got me not to apply. Well, got, did not allow the recruiter to give me a contract. And, um, cause he said, he said, I went in the recruiter, I was going, he was taking me, he goes, if you come out of the recruiter with anything other than a contract, we're going to talk about what else you could do. And I was like, okay, I didn't know anything. And, uh, I came out with a application of the Naval Academy, which I was wholly unqualified for. And I found out that he had, you know, talked to some, somebody in there and, um, my parents were knew some folks, uh, Senator Chafee, the elder senator, um, and got me into the University of Rhode Island on a probationary status. And uh, now that said, I loved the University of Rhode Island. It was a great, I, I had a great experience there. I absolutely couldn't ask for a better school, but I, I wish I had been more deliberate in picking it, but it was where I landed as opposed where I chose it. Um, so that was, that was, that was important, uh, in that kind of, kind of piece that sometimes you just, you land in the right place by, by, by sure good fortune. Sure. Um, uh, the Atlantic council is obviously a, a, a foreign policy think tank. Oh, uh, Russian studies. Yeah. Well, yeah. look, it was, it was the nineties, right? I mean, I, I think, you know, I'd grown up watching Rocky four. Um, the, the Soviet <laughs> Union was, yeah, the, the Soviet <laughs> Union was, was, you know, Russia was going to be the problem. And I, and the truth of the matter, so not only did I think it was going to help me for my upcoming military career, but the, the truth is I, I loved it. I, I, I really enjoyed the professor. He was terrific. Um, and I really liked the subject matter. It was, uh, it, it was just, it, Russia is just such an interesting, it's such an interesting uh, history and the people there are so different than uh, in the United States. And I, I was just amazed at, at their resiliency and what they could go get through. Um, but the Atlantic Council, uh, I was really fortunate to get, to get into that think tank as an intern. Um, and they were working with, uh, Madeline Albright, uh, on the partnership for peace, which was obviously, well, it was, it was multi countries, but, um, it was primarily, um, between Russia and the United States trying to figure out how do we, how do we move forward in this new era? Uh, what does this look like? And, um, quite honestly, I, like I said, I was more of a typing jockey than anything, but it was really neat to sit in the think tank uh, conference rooms and listen to incredible minds uh, talk about how they saw the future um, economically, how they saw the future politically. Um, it was it was a really neat um, experience. Uh, General Goodpaster was the was kind of the figurehead of of the Atlantic Council, and I think I was most enamored with him. Because you know, here was this four-star general who, you know, had this incredibly distinguished career. I knew I was going into the military, and what struck me about him was not like the, the, uh, the stuff that I had been expecting. The kind of this bravado. He was pretty soft-spoken guy, but just his intelligence, um, just how smart he was. He was truly a, 
uh, a soldier statesman. So that was that that was a a great experience for a guy who had, you know, as a as a cadet in ROTC. I don't think you get a whole lot of touch points in the military. So you you only have a, a, a you have a very limited picture of what the military looks like and who is in the military. It's your cadre, cadre you come in contact with through your progression as a cadet. But I had never met anybody like him, and you certainly didn't meet you know general officers who were like that. So it was sure. Nice. So you were in ROTC, ROTC, while you were there at University of Rhode yep. Island, and then you picked up your commission immediately after graduating, and uh, and went in the army. I'm, I'm supposing. Um, yep. Uh, so what made you change your mind from the Marine Corps that you had originally thought about going into, and go, and then I guess was it your father and his? Yeah. His, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so. So I was going to go through the the PLC program, the Marine Corps Platoon Leader course. Yeah. Um, and right before my first summer, uh, I was I was in the student union, and ROTC was there, and I met the ROTC uh, professor of military science, and he uh, he started talking to me. He's like, "Hey, we'll send you to jump out of airplanes this summer if you join us," <laughs> and you know, what do you want to do? And he goes, Oh, well, we'll send you to ranger school if you do well and you can be a ranger. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. So I called my, my uh, PLC guy and he said, Hey, the army said that they'll let me do all this stuff. What, what will you let me do in your program? They're like, we'll let you become a Marine. <laughs> I was like, I was like, Oh, well, I think I'm going to go with this one over here. Um, and, and, and to their credit, uh, everything the army said that they would do for me, they did. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to, I went to airborne school that summer. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a, had a very good experience in the, in the ROTC program. It was, nice. uh, it was really positive. Yeah. I, I had great, I had great NCOs. I mean, and that's what, that's what made the difference. Right. Yeah. And then, and then from there picked up your commission and then went to Ranger school. Um, for those who may not be familiar, um, can you explain what that training pipeline for a ranger looks like and then what rangers actually do? Yeah, so so as an, as an officer, um, after your basic course, you go to ranger school. Um, and once successfully completing ranger school, you actually have to go to another assignment uh, in, the, in the Army to, before you can even be con considered for a uh, ranger regiment. Um, so, uh, my first assignment was with the 82nd airborne division and I did a uh, little over 18 months there and, um, was able to go to selection for, uh, Rangers, which at the time was called, uh, RASP, uh, Ranger assessment and selection program. Yeah. Um, and that consisted of everything an enlisted Ranger does just in a shorter amount of time. Um, and concludes with a board. And if you make it through all of selection and you make it to the board and the board selects you, then you're assigned to one of the three battalions of the headquarters. And I was assigned, uh, in 1997, I was assigned to third Ranger battalion. So, um, it was, it, it was a long road to get there. Uh, it was where I always knew I wanted to be. Um, and the experience, I mean, what I learned in the regiment helped me be a better warrior, uh, 
even though we were peacetime, it was, it was training and being prepared for real world missions, um, which was, which was important. You know, I had been lucky enough in the 82nd, I did deploy to Haiti. Um, and that was a, that was a huge benefit. Um, and I had, I had great commanders and great NCOs in the 82nd. Um, but I'll tell you, it was the NCOs in third Ranger battalion that kind of built the foundation of the, of the officer that I, that I wanted to become and that I became. Yeah. I think that's standard for, for any good officer, if they're not learning from their NCOs, uh, then, then, uh, then they're wrong. And then they probably don't become the good officers that, uh, you know, well, it's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. And I, I, I dedicated my first book to the NCOs that I served with because NCOs are, are very, very different than officers in that they not only have to lead their subordinates, but they lead up, they lead their bosses. And that's a, that depending on who your boss is, that, that can be difficult and they lead peer to peer, which is the most difficult. I mean, that's what you do in Ranger school or, or during buds, right? You have to lead your peers and that's, that's difficult, especially when your peers are cold, wet, tired, and hungry. Um, and, and I, and, but I, you know, so you go through that in ranger school, but then you get to watch it with NCOs every single day they're doing that. And they're, you know, some of them are more subtle and some of them are better at it, but, um, that's true leadership is when you can lead people that don't really, you know, you're, you're, that don't really have to listen to you, want to listen to you. That was what struck me. And the, the, the most, I would say that all but maybe 5% of the NCOs that I served with in my entire career were able to do that seamlessly. Yeah. Nice, man. Well, you, you're, you've been blessed with good NCOs. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, there there's tons of good NCOs, but there's also uh, good and bad NCOs and good and bad officers. And, uh, and to have a, a career where you're blessed con- with consistently good NCOs uh, that, can really help to set you up as a great officer. So talking about that, um, you're a highly decorated, retired officer, Lieutenant Colonel. What were some of the toughest things that you saw or did uh, while you, you were serving? You know, I, I'm sure that what people want to hear about are, you know, the, the difficult things that we did in combat. But quite honestly, some of the most difficult assignments I had are the things that really uh, taxed me were when I wasn't in combat, you know, after I'd left, I I will tell you that, um, working and training and doctrine command was one of the most challenging assignments I'd ever had because, uh, the institution is uh, incredibly bureaucratic and not agile, um, and very set in their ways. So I, 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 I mean, I, I'll be the first to tell you, it was the main reason I, I left the army is my last assignment was in TRADOC. And I, I was so beaten down trying to get them to see a different way. And, and I say them, and I really should say it because, um, I, I had an epiphany yesterday. This is so, this is so funny. <laughs> I, I got a I got a text from a buddy of mine who was a battalion commander with me, who's now brigade commander in training and doctrine command, and he said, you know, I think of you all the time because all the stuff that you and I talked about and stuff that we tried to adapt when we were battalion commanders, I'm I'm facing again, and and I realized, well, that's because we tried to change the organization, the system, 
and and I don't know that you can ever change an organization or a system. You have to change the way people think. And if you focus on the people, maybe over time you can get the organization to change. Um, but organizations will always default to whatever's easiest for the organization, yeah. not what's best. So I said, you know, you just keep on creating the soldiers and the warriors that we know we need in combat. Um, and eventually the system may catch up, but even if it doesn't, you, you're still, you're still making your, your mark. You're still making that dent in, in progress. But what I realized yesterday, and it like came to me as a blinding flash is organizations don't evolve. People do. So I, I realized I had done it. I had tried to do it all wrong. And that, that beat me down. Uh, it beat me down a lot because, uh, and I also did it wrong, right? I, instead yeah. of just, you know, th being thoughtful and being kind with people, I basically told them how jacked up I thought they were. And, <laughs> you know, people love to hear that. That doesn't go, that doesn't and, go uh, yeah. yeah. So I think, I think not only did, did I, did I do it in an immature way, but I, I probably focused on the wrong thing. So that was, that was the most difficult time that I'd had. I, my, my time in combat, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I miss it. I miss it every single day. It was, yeah. you know, it was, and I'm sure you hear that all the time. I mean, that was, that was. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a, a, a camaraderie there that you can't build in other places. Uh, I mean, it's kind of the, the proverbial trial, trial by fire. Uh, you, tr you truly are being brought together through fire there. Um, so actually that brings up a, another question. You're talking about missing it. Um, how did being a ranger prepare you for life after hanging up the uniform? And what was that transition like? Yeah, so, so um, it was the time before transition that really wasn't pretty. I, uh, so about 12 months, 13 months after my final deployment. So like my last deployment was in 2011 and, you know, by 2012, um, I was diagnosed with severe post-traumatic stress. I like snapped. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was rough. Um, and, uh, that, that, um, and, and trying not to show it while in command, um, and trying to, keep everything together was a struggle. So I had, uh, I had really, I found this great psych who, who, you know, at one point I was on a bunch of different meds and yeah, now, you I've know, now I'm only on. Yeah. So, so, so now I'm only on, uh, on two. Um, and she really was very good at kind of getting me to find other, uh, methods to deal with with um the post-traumatic stress and the transition then wasn't that hard because she helped me so much so once i realized okay they're they're not going to let me ever do anything that i want to do now that i've got this diagnosis so yeah there's no point in staying in um and i cannot survive in training and doctrine command uh, it, it will not be good. So, um, 
the last job I had in the army was I was in charge of this place called Victory College, which was the army's fitness school, leadership school uh, for training doctor command and um, resiliency school. And they let me kind of, you know, run that and, and kind of adapt that as I had tried to adapt uh, basic training. And that led to kind of starting to write the first book about, you know, how do you train people for the unknown, uh, which is about building resiliency and building thoughtfulness and, um, you know, those things that had helped me as a ranger and in the asymmetric warfare group. Um, and so it was, it was a hard pivot and it, it was like, you know, fast. Um, it wasn't difficult to go into the civilian world and work on leadership consulting and building resiliency because that's in culture, because that's what people wanted. So I was able to kind of uh, do that uh, pretty quickly, uh, work with corporations like Xbox and professional teams, the Denver Broncos, the Carolina Panthers, um, nice, and, and kind of bring those things. Um, but it's funny. So, you know, so in June, this June, I'll, I'll have been out five years and last this past summer, I kind of went through what I call the second transition. I think the first transition, if you're set up, it goes really fast. It, it like, it seems seamless, but all of a sudden when things catch up to you, because you're in this huge learning curve of how to be a civilian, because there's a bunch of stuff they never teach you in the military. Yeah. Um, you know, like, holy cow, taxes are really expensive. And, you know, you're really, you know, so, so learning all that stuff. And then you, um, you kind of go into this, okay. Uh, I were, I, you know, I was a partner in one firm. I, I left and, and started my own firm with another partner and, and you have that kind of camaraderie, but you don't have anything that's like uh, what you, what you were used to. And so, um, this past summer, I went through what I call my second transition was like, okay, I, I'm making a living and this is fine, but I don't, I don't feel good about it. I don't yeah. have anyone, you know, I do it with one other guy and I like him, but I don't feel camaraderie with a group of, of people towards a, a combined purpose. And so that's when I found merging vets and players. Yeah. And, and that's, that's brought a whole new purpose and meaning to, to what I do. And, you know, it's, I really found a, I found a spot that, that, you know, and again, having worked with athletes, having worked with veterans, this is like my sweet spot. I'm really excited about this. Sure. And a um, couple of things there. I want to come back to the modality, <clears throat> the other treatments that you talked about or, or other things yeah. that you're doing to, to Absolutely. work with your post uh, PTS. But then uh, with the MVP, the merging veterans and players, um, before we come back to the uh, the other treatments or whatever else you were doing, can you talk more about merging veterans and players? What what that is, how you got involved, um, how our yeah. listeners may be able to participate and and or help if they can. So merging vets and players is specifically for combat veterans and former professional or Olympic athletes, and uh, it was founded by Jay Glazer from Fox NFL, uh, Nate Boyer who is former Green Beret and. I think he was the oldest rookie ever um, and played for the Seattle Seahawks for, you know, most of uh, preseason. And um, they founded it because they realized that when you take off the uniform, whether it's a, a, a professional team uniform 
or the military uniform, you lose your tribe. Yeah. You, you yeah. lose your identity. Right. And, and that's, that's really hard. And for a lot of guys, that's kind of the, you know, walking off the gangplank, so to speak, all of a sudden you're in this unknown and nothing, you don't know where to go. Right. I mean, how do you decide your direction when every direction could be the way you should go? Right. And what merging vets and players does is it empowers those former veteran combat veterans and athletes to kind of make that first step to show that they do have a tribe to, to have some accountability to, to a fellow person, um, to be able to kind of, uh, have a Sherpa on your, on your path, somebody who's either been through the transition or is going through it with uh, also, um, but somebody who understands that there's one thing, you know, and a lot of times we focus on taking off the uniform is what brings us together. Sure. What I think brings us most together, athletes and veterans, is we both live to serve something greater than ourselves. It was about more than us. Yeah. That's what makes us different. And, 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 that's, and that's a great thing. And we can bring that out into the community, but we need to kind of be empowered. Uh, by each other to do that. And so um, this organization, we just opened our fifth chapter in, um, in New York City. So we're in LA, Las Vegas, Chicago, Atlanta, and New York. We're looking at three more this, uh, this year that we want to look Beautiful. at right now. I think, I think, you know, Dallas is number one on our list right now. And Seattle, I think is number two. Uh, we'll see where number three is, but um, it's an incredible organization. I'll tell you what was really neat is, so, you know, we're, we're a program where, you know, we meet once a week, we do like a 30 minute workout, 45 minute workout. And then we have like a support group, what we call the huddle where, where people share. Yeah. And all of a sudden COVID-19 hits and within 72 hours, uh, we started doing virtual program. Nice. So we have a trainer who does the workout and there's, you'll, you'll see 60 people on a zoom call doing the workout. And then we do this virtual huddle That's awesome. and um, we're going to go, this will be our third week coming into our third week of doing virtual huddle. And we're looking at by next week, because the, uh, the restrictions have been extended I think we're going to open it up to places where we don't currently have. So right now we have, we have five different dial-ins, right? Everybody still does their thing. There's predictability, yeah. same time. Um, but I think we're going to open up one next week for people who were not in a, in an area that is currently being serviced by merging vets and players so that they can kind of join in and, uh, and experience kind of the magic of the huddle, but it's, but it's amazing, right? So, so, you know, one night, you know, Dan Quinn and Randy Couture are on. And another night, um, we've got uh, Chip Kelly, you know, and Sean McVeigh on uh, talking about, you know, it's just every, every, every time you dial in, you don't know who is going to be there and sharing some of their story. Yeah. And, uh, and it's terrific. That's awesome. Um, are you familiar with... Um... Dartmouth Business School, Tuck, and the program Tuck Next Step. Yes, I yeah, am. Yeah, I just went through that. Well, I say just it, back in September of last year. 
And, you know, we went through with the transitioning military service members and then the, the transitioning athletes, whether they were professional athletes or Olympic athletes. And, and there is so much of that camaraderie because we are going through similar things. And because like you mentioned, we have been serving in, in a different capacity. Um, it, Last night, as a matter of fact, we, we had a call, a Zoom call with, you know, all the people who have gone through the program uh, at one point or another. And uh, one of the questions was asked, you know, what is it that brings us together uh, like, like nothing other? And the wearing a uniform and transitioning was one of the things, but you, you hit the nail on the head there in that we've all been serving a, kind of a, in, a, in a different capacity and, and now once we hang that uniform up, how do we continue to serve in a different capacity, which is probably, you know, why so many uh, athletes and veterans get involved in nonprofits so that they can continue to serve, so they can continue to meet their why. You know, we touched on that beginning at the beginning of the show, what is your why? And, and I'm sure that if you went through veterans and athletes and you asked them what their why was, none of them would say so that I could get, or I won't say none of them, but very few of them would say so that I can get rich or so that I can get notoriety or so that I can be famous. It's because they, uh, they want to serve in some capacity. So, uh, that's awesome what you guys are doing, uh, with, with MVP. Um, I well, you just gave me a, I, I just, I just typed in tuck school. I want to, yeah. I want to call them and, uh, and I want to see how we can partner with them. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say after the show. So I'm glad we need to figure out, we need to figure out how to do that. I immediately sure. wrote it. I'm like, we should partner with them. That's Absolutely, awesome. man. It's a fantastic program. I mean, you've got uh, gold medal athletes, uh, Olympic, uh, Olympic, uh, or sorry, uh, professional NBA, professional football. You've got it. You've kind of got it all mixed in there and there would be great athletes to have on your, your, uh, your zoom virtual huddles that you have going on right now. So definitely, uh, if, if you need me to broker any intros, uh, <laughs> happy to do so. I'm so I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah, right on, man. Uh, happy to do that. So uh, coming back really fast to you mentioned some of the other things that you did to help you deal with the post traumatic stress. What, uh, what was that? What were you doing? All right. So, um, so first of all, she gave me this book called Buddha's brain. I yeah. don't know if you've read yeah. Buddha's brain. As a matter of fact, I'm reading it right now. Okay. So that yeah. changed my, my whole, that changed. It, I mean, at risk of sounding cliche that, that, that book kind of changed how I look at my life um, and understanding this, you know, first of all, Randy Couture is, is he, he says some of the smartest stuff and he said, it's post-traumatic stress. It's only a disorder if you don't deal with it. That's right. And and so understanding that this is a physiological problem, not a psychological problem. And I think that that takes some of the booga booga out of it, so to speak, right? I mean, people hear, oh, it's, you know, mental illness. Well, wait a second. This is, there's a physiological piece. And if, if we take some of the stigma away from it, maybe we can really get better at at thinking about how we treat it ourselves. Sure. So yep. it, it completely changed how, okay, so, so now I know there's chemical imbalances, there's some stuff going on. And oh, by the way, some of those things are reversible. And, and all of those things are, they, there's, there's mechanisms to cope with them um, and deal with it. Just like if I had, uh, 
you know, a, a, a trick knee. You know, I, I have a meniscus torn in my knee. I, I live with it. I haven't gotten it, you know, but there's certain things I do before I work out and after I work out to maintain. Sure. And so, so um, I did get into some meditation. I'm not very good at it. I always have to have lead meditation. I still, I'm still not, you know, after all this time, I still need somebody kind of reminding me about yeah. It just helps me. Yeah, um, it helps me. I, I use it quite quite regularly, and, and I'm a meditation teacher. <laughs> yeah. So so lead meditation for me is really is really big. Um, the physical fitness part of it, um, you know, understanding that, you know, when I'm when I'm working out, I don't I don't think about what happened, and I don't think about the future. Um, she got me started with surfing. Uh, surfing, you have to be in the moment. You have to be. Yeah adapting right then and there to the water to the waves i i'm horrible at it i'm really bad <laughs> me too <laughs> really bad but you know what there's something about being out there on the ocean and 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 just floating and it's great um uh she helped me get a service dog which you know for the for three years had never left my side until i got to a place where like he gets to be more of a dog now yeah. Uh, and, and he's allowed to kind of, kind of be an animal instead of, you know, my caretaker. Um, all those things were things that helped me kind of, uh, take accountability for, uh, what was happening to me and deal with it in a, in a positive way. Things didn't, you know, I wasn't a victim. I, I was a, I was a casualty. Something, something happened. Uh, I, I still had power. And I could still get through this, right? Victims tend to be powerless, right? We don't, we don't ever call the guy. We don't say the guy who got blown up by the ID. Oh, he was a victim of an ID. He was a casualty. Yeah. He he might have done everything right, and and bad stuff happens. And you know, you can do everything right. You can be you can be tough and smart and thoughtful, and and your brain goes, okay, this is just. I I created this much more chemical. And I can't, I can't deal with that. That that's going to cause you to be like this now. Right. And so being able to, to, to learn how to go, okay, well, that's what it is. And here's how I can adapt that. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I sell bad days. Uh, sure. I think we all do. I yeah. think we all do. I mean, every, Wouldn't be people human. who haven't been right. Yeah. But, um, and, and certainly when, you know, so like one of the medicines I take is Cymbalta and, you know, when I don't take it, if I forget, and, and I've been known to forget every once in a while, um, I get the brain zaps and I feel off. And but other than that, I you know I I'm okay with where I'm at. I can I can talk about stuff. I can I can deal with some emotions. Uh, you know, I I feel much much better. And I think that was you know taking charge of the injury. It was what was most important to me. Yeah, right on, man. Well, I'm glad that you, you've gotten a handle on it. It sounds like you're doing the right things uh, all around. So good for you. Um, so I wanted to transition to the books uh, that, that we touched on. Um, first one being A Light in the Darkness, Leadership Development for the Unknown. Um, and I'll touch very briefly on that. I, I haven't read it, but I've looked up the reviews and I've looked up the kind of the synopsis and having a kind of a, a forward there by General McChrystal. I mean, that's 
that's a hell of a statement. Uh, it's pretty great that you can have that. Can you give a kind of a, a brief synopsis of, of a light in the darkness? Yeah, really simply, it's, uh, it, it, it's a discussion on how do we prepare people for the unknown when that is certainly what they're going to face. Yeah. And that we have a habit of only we, we we have a habit of only preparing people for known problems, capabilities. And what screws us up in life is never the things that people have already solved. It's the things that people have never seen before. And we never prepare people to think, right? Our, our education system, and I talk about kind of the model, the capability model, which is solving for the known. Uh, a, an educator says, here's the solution. Do you understand the solution? Uh, yes, I understand the solution. Great. Here's the problem. Apply the solution I just gave you to this problem. You did that correctly. Great. Move on. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to here's the problem. How could we solve it? Any way you want. And I yeah. use an example like uh, tying the shoes. If you ask every listener that you have how, how they tie their shoes, I guarantee you only come up with two different ways. Rabbit goes around the tree, back in the hole, that one, yeah. or two loops and they do the loop thing. Yeah. And that's because we've all, that's the ways we were taught. Right. Imagine if we were given shoes and said, keep these on your feet. <laughs> yeah. Figure it out. You could have had, you could have had slip on shoes easy for earlier or Velcro or who knows what we would add earlier. Yeah. Um, but that's not how we do things. So it's about, you know, when I, when I got to basic training and I realized we're not, we're solving them. We're teaching them to solve a known problem instead of having them figure stuff out. And we saw how poorly that did for us in the early yeah, parts of the war. For sure. And so it was about how do you, you got to train people for the unknown. So nice. that's what that first book is about. Yeah. Funny enough, um, you may have seen it. There's actually a Ted talk on, uh, on tying shoelaces and, and that we've all been doing it wrong for our whole lives. And, you, and he actually goes into how to do it correctly. <laughs> we've, we've all learned the wrong way. So a funny, a little, uh, side, side. Note yeah. There. So, um, now, now I want to talk about the meditations of an army ranger. And, and I originally reached out kind of under the, the impressions that this was specifically about meditation and mindfulness. Uh, but then after with, after speaking with you about it, um, I was even more intrigued. So it's, it's not explicitly about mindfulness, but more in honor of Marcus Aurelius's book, Meditations. And this was your way of doing what previous philosophers have done, uh, and that's sharing experiences from those who have experienced combat. So you went on after, after explaining that to me to say that mindfulness is kind of weaved throughout the book um, in, in that it's all about thoughtful action. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the meditations on an army ranger and then delve into the statement about the thoughtful action? Well, actually I want to lead with that because the, yeah. the, the forward, the forward uh, on that book is written by Mark divine. Yeah. Who, yeah. He was my first, uh, uh, my first guest. Yeah. So, so Mark, I have, I've always been a fan of Mark and Mark's ability to, to, to harness the mindfulness and, and, harness the thoughtfulness and, and quite honestly, um, uh, I want to say he's an anomaly in the public image of seals. You and he are, are, are kind of anomalies in how seals are usually seen or portrayed by yeah. other seals anyway. <laughs> um, and, 
I, I love, I love what he does with the mindfulness and, and the whole piece of, uh, meditations. It was kind of inspired because there's a lot of nobody who I want to name because it's not important, but there's a bunch of guys who served with us, um, who have this kind of rah, rah, kill them all, let God sort them out, attack the day. It's, it's very, uh, what I call bumper sticker leadership. It's glib. It's not thoughtful. It's like, you know, you just got to get up. Yeah. You got to get up in the morning. Well, yeah. Okay. Y yes. And thanks. <laughs> I mean, um, and, and what I realized is the best, the best warriors that I had seen in combat were not guys like that at all. They yeah. were so far from that that it was impactful they were they were quiet they were soft-spoken they were they were so thoughtful they really considered everything before they did it and this um and and i thought you know we're, we're really showing kind of what i consider a pre-war perspective of the military which is you know go get because I saw those guys. Look, I was probably that guy. Rah rah, you know. Yeah, sure. Let's go. Let's get some. And and uh, and it's not always about action. It's about thoughtful action. It's about right. it's about being still for a second. And and it, it can be a millisecond of stillness. But but it's about being deliberate. I talk about the difference between proactive, reactive, and active. And everybody thinks they want proactive. And, and, and I think that's incorrect. So reactive, you're, you're a step behind, at right. least a half a step behind. Proactive is fine, but know you're going to make a lot of mistakes sure. because you're, you're guessing, you know? So, but what most people want is there is whether they're leaders and they want their people to be this way or as, as humans, they want to be act. They want them to be active in the moment. And that means thinking about something and 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 doing it correctly, right? So, yeah. um, hey, it's raining. I shouldn't have to tell you to take in something that's going to get wrecked from the rain. You should see that it's raining. Recognize that that's not proactive. That's being active. Yeah. Proactive is bringing it inside before it starts raining, and then people are like, "Hey, why is that inside?" It yeah. should be outside, right? So, yeah. so, but that 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 thoughtfulness, that being still, just for a second, to go, what's the right thing here, and and being comfortable with, even if it's not the right thing, you know, because we we can make all the right, we can we can take that moment of stillness and make a mistake, and going, okay, what do I learn from that? Where do I take that? Instead right. of, we we tend to be very reactive in our life. Right, because philosophy isn't important anymore. We 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 you know we we see philosophy as something for academics, as opposed to philosophy is important for how humans live, and whether you know you're a, a, a transcendentalist philosopher or a Stoic philosopher, you you have to identify what's your philosophy for life. Yeah. You know, That's and it's awesome. not a bumper sticker. It's not a, it's not, it's not YOLO, right? It's not you only live once. That's, that's not a philosophy. That's, that's, yeah. you, you truly got to think like, what does it mean for me to be human? What do I value as a human to be, 
to do what I think is successful, to be happy, to make others, to, to make others' lives better. Awesome, man. Well, now I, I, I will admit I have not read the book, but now I'm even more intrigued and I'm going to have to make sure it's on my, uh, on my read, my to read list. So, uh, that, that's great. Well, and I'll tell you, you know, so I, and I had two great co-authors both with, so, uh, Sarah knew with a light in the darkness, she, she helped me so much and she was so talented and, and, um, and really made that book come to life. And then, uh, Dr. Alice Atlanta at Atlanta, who is just a tremendous, uh, voice for veterans and also classically trained. So she understood philosophy, which was a huge help. Yeah. Um, but, um, without those two, these books don't come to light because, you know, smart ranger, strong ranger, I, I left a lot of weight. So, um, she's th th those two truly, um, were the difference in making those, those books, you know, nice man. Become. Um, that's, that's awesome. And I'll be sure to, um, you know, share links to that and the light in the darkness in, uh, in the show notes. Once we put this all together, um, starting to come to the, the kind of the wrapping up of the, the show, what have we not discussed, uh, JC, that you want to make sure our listeners take away from today's episode? Well, obviously, if you're a combat veteran or former professional athletes, I'd love for you to go to vetsandplayers.org and see what we're about uh, and, and see that even during the, the COVID-19, we're, we're looking for new and innovative ways that in the last in the last two weeks, we've done art programs, we've done business uh, panels, we've done leadership classes, we've, I mean, we're, we're really trying to do everything we can, and we've organized service projects for uh, disabled persons, for elderly persons, to make sure that they get uh, taken care of during this, during this time. Um, no, I, I, I guess, I guess it's kind of what, what we finished up with is, is, uh, you, it's not enough to be thoughtful and you certainly can't just be this person of only action. It's this, it's this idea of thoughtful action to think and then act. And initially it takes time, but the more you do it, the faster it gets and you don't, it doesn't have to uh, paralyze you. Thinking doesn't have to paralyze you and action shouldn't take place without thought. And I think today that's more important than ever. Um, we need to be people of thoughtful action because right now we could argue that there's a lot of action and not a lot of thought going on. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and, uh, and we we're constantly reminded that action without thought is a problem. And all you have to do is look at academia to see what the problem is with thought without action. <laughs> and, um, I think if we can, uh, if we can, if we can be people of thoughtful action, I think we have a whole lot fewer problems. I think I think the top five problems that we have as humans in the world probably are lessened. They don't go away, but they're yeah. lessened. Awesome, man. Well, uh, if, if people wanted to reach out to you to learn more about you, to learn more about MVP, to learn more about the book, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, so um, connect with me on LinkedIn, JC Glick or um, 
on merging uh, vets and players, just send an email. And, uh, and then my, my business, which is in the process of being rebranded from uh, MVP, because there was a little confusion sure. there, uh, to uh, Padromos Leadership. Uh, and just go to, go to our, our website and, and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll connect. Right on, man. Well, I, again, I'll make sure all those uh, links and notes are in the, the show notes as we, uh, as we produce this finally for both YouTube and all the different podcast platforms that are out there. As far as MVP, uh, brother, I'm going to uh, post something on uh, LinkedIn in our uh, Tuck Next Step group later today. And, uh, and hopefully have some of the athletes and veterans reach out to you because I think that's a, a phenomenal program that you've got going, uh, especially in, again, this time of anxiety and uncertainty that we've all gone through, that we are all going through. And the fact that you have a virtual uh, program set up, that's, uh, that's phenomenal, man. So, yeah. brother, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, I, I really appreciated the, the kind of the vulnerability that you shared with us, uh, the, all the stories, the books that you've written are definitely changing lives going back to the beginning of the show where you talked about your why and what your why is and you want to, uh, you want to help others out. You're doing it. Um, and you know, this podcast, uh, same thing. That's the reason I do this podcast is to hopefully change people's lives and your story I know is going to resonate with some someone out there and it's going to, it's going to change and, and potentially even save lives. So thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you, brother. That means a lot to me. And thank you for doing this. I, yeah. uh, and just know that you're carrying you guys like you and, and Mark are carrying the flag uh, to show it uh, what special operations warriors are, are, are we're, we're different in a meaningful way. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. true. That's true. Still. For our listeners and viewers, thank you again for listening to or watching our show. Please check out Veterans Path online at veteranspath.org. We too are on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. If you're enjoying the podcast, please hit the subscribe button here on the podcast or here on YouTube. Leave us a comment, a review, a like, and again, share it with anyone you feel needs to hear our message. And remember, you can directly support Veterans Path by clicking on the support button on the podcast or by visiting veteranspath.org forward slash donate. Thank you all and have a blessed day. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Veterans Path Podcast. Please follow us on social media and think about sharing your story with us there and potentially on the show. Together, we can make mental health a priority, improving and saving lives. 